Welcome to the Morning Huddle, where business, healthcare, and lifestyle meet. This platform is designed to educate and equip business-minded training healthcare professionals to become the leaders in an evolving healthcare landscape. We are your hosts, Dr. Jermaine Fetty. And I'm student Dr. Kamal Smith. This summer, we'll be sharing a series of in-depth conversations with a diverse group of dental professionals and change agents within healthcare. Our goal is to answer your questions, expose various pathways to success, and discuss core strategies to secure a healthy financial future. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to the Morning Huddle. We are back for another interview. We have a very special guest joining us today. We're very excited to speak with her and just hear all of her insights. Very grateful for her taking the time to um, come and speak with us. So without any further ado, I'm going to let our special guest for the day introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her background. All right. Um, Thank you for having me. My name is Dr. Zarita Buchanan. I am a general dentist. I practice in Lithonia, Georgia, which is about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. Um, I'm from Georgia. I went to Spelman undergrad, which is like my heart and soul. I'm a big HBCU advocate. And then I um, directly went after graduation to UNC Chapel Hill for four years and came back to Georgia to start practicing in 2014. Okay. Very nice. Another UNC alum. So we're all yeah. UNC, um, UNC alums here. Uh, myself, I'm one of your hosts, student Dr. Kamal Smith. I'm a dental student at UNC Adams School of Dentistry, and I'm going to let our other co-hosts introduce himself as well. Hello. So my name is Dr. Jermaine Fetty. I graduated from Chapel Hill a few months ago. So here we are. Um, pleasure. And this is going to be fun. Let's, let's hop into it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So we can go ahead and just hop straight into it. The first question that I have for Dr. Buchanan is why dentistry? Why did you decide to pursue dentistry as a career? Um, I've been around dentistry my whole life. Um, I always knew I liked science and I knew I did not like other subjects. Like I hated writing papers. Um, I wasn't really into, you know, like, literature and things like that. Um, but I love science. And so for many years, I thought I would go into medicine. I think I was doing that because I was trying to fight the family business. Um, I'm the fourth generation dentist in my family, but the first female. So I've always known of dentistry. Um, and I decided my junior year at Spelman that I would just go ahead and do follow the path God had outlined for me. Um, And I ended up switching from medicine to dentistry simply because I started to learn a little more about the autonomy the career provided. And at that stage in my life, I was learning what I liked as a person. Like I liked making my own decisions. I liked making my own schedule. And when I realized that the profession provided me with those opportunities, I was like, you know, this is kind of, meant to be. So let me go ahead and step out on faith and go to Carolina, sign up for these four years. Um, And I've been at it ever since. Very nice. All right. So uh, we're going to talk to some students for a little bit. So we got some student related questions for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so first off, how was your dental school experience? How would you, how would you describe that? I loved Carolina. 
I, um, when I was at Spelman, you could not tell me that I was not going to Meharry. I was hands down going to Meharry because I wanted that environment. I felt like I saw students who had a really good, like brotherly, sisterly friendships at Meharry. And I really wanted to go there. Um, but one day on campus at Spelman, I met one of the recruiters, Mr. Claudius Pope from UNC. And he talked to me a little bit about the school. I didn't know anything about Carolina other than Michael Jordan. Like that's all I knew. And I went to visit um, and fell in love with the campus. And I was like, you know what? It's time for me to step outside of my comfort zone and try something new. So I accepted the offer to go to Carolina and I, I literally had the best time. I had a very close relationship with my classmates. Our SNDA chapter was very strong. I felt like the old North State Dental Society was very welcoming and they gave me the community that I was looking for. So when I look back on my decision to go to Carolina, it was, it was the right thing for me. It forced me to grow and forced me to be in an environment I wasn't necessarily um, used to, but I think it made me a better clinician. That's really good. Yeah. <laughs> So if we're going to dig a little deeper into your student life uh, back in the day, so what would you say was probably the most impactful things that you experienced while in dental school that helped prepare you for the clinical side of your career? There were a couple of things. My class, so I graduated in 2014. We were the last class to be in the old building. Mm -hmm. um, and so like they opened up the new clinics my like second year, I think. And it was just such an amazing environment in terms of being able to go to all the different specialties. Like I felt like I had all the resources at my fingertips and I signed up my fourth year for the implant elective with Dr. Hop and Dr. Reside. And it was in that elective that I got to place an implant while I was in school. Dr. Moretti, he's in perio department. He was my faculty. And they really gave me the confidence to do that procedure. And I remember talking to some of my other peers who were at different schools and they weren't, you know, given that opportunity. And I carried that experience over into private practice and I place implants now um, at my office. And I feel like being with them, being with the perio, the pros faculty, being with a different specialist really gave me exposure that I think was invaluable. They always told me, I'll never forget, there was a pros resident, I still speak to her to this day, her name is Teresa Wang. She told me, take pride in your work, Zarita. Always take pride in your work. So I would come to my um, clinic sessions and like have, I would get there early, but have everything kind of organized and laid out. And I carry those skills over into private practice. So it was having people who told me to pay attention to detail and people who showed me what they did in their specialty that I think allowed me to be a better general dentist because I have a little bit of experience in each field. Um, so working with Dr. Hop, working with Dr. Reside, all of the skills that they taught me, that was probably the best portion of all the four years that implant elective it seems like the scariest thing for a you know student to do, to do that surgery, but it was the best opportunity for me. I'm, you know, I feel like if I could have done it all over again, I wish they would have let us start placing, you know, our second or third year. Um, but it was probably the best course that I took. 
I'm in the same boat as you. Um, they we still do that, but it's like in a very small, small collection. Mm-hmm. It's like a special elective. I believe only three of us were able to place implants in our mm-hmm. graduate cohort, and I yeah. was one of them. So I understand, yeah. I understand completely that be able to have them over your shoulders and be able to practice it in front of them. Um, yes. Because as you know, a lot of general dentists graduate and they might take a course, mm-hmm. but that the big step from going from course to actually placing them is huge, especially when yeah. you don't have somebody behind you. So the fact you got that experience while in school, I'm sure that catapulted you mm-hmm. uh, big time to be ready. So that's amazing. Yeah. So thank you for getting that all that together for us. Maybe you're the reason why we're able to place implants today. Who knows? Yeah, I feel like they were like, maybe they were in their first couple years and they did it with us but um it was it was a great hands-on experience like I'm glad that they allowed the students to do it okay good so what advice would you give let's say your younger self or future of past self transitioning into clinic what would you tell them to get them prepared get as much experience as you can even if it's scary even if you don't do a good job always go in there, try it at least. Cause you're never going to learn how to be better unless you try it. Mm-hmm. I used to like fight for my cases. I would be like, don't refer this to grad pros. Like I can do this. I want to do this. I was bugging my practice director. I love him to this day, Dr. Barrero. He, you know, I used to be at his office before he got there and he would be like, what do you want today? Like you're back again. And I was trying to get as much experience as I could. Um, because one of the things my dad always taught me, he's, you know, he said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're probably in the wrong room. So you need to be around people who are at the top of their field so that you can always up your game. Um, so I've always kind of been a learner. Like, I feel like I'm a lifelong learner. And I think when you're in school, you're just trying to get through, you know, you're just trying to make those grades, get to the next day, get to the next semester. But if I could tell students anything, it's, get as much experience as you can. There really is no downtime. Like you need to be in the clinics after hours, you know, trying to volunteer, trying to learn more. Because once you get out into private practice, like that's it. They're looking at you. There's no, you know, faculty to run and check with. They're looking for you for the answers. So while you're in school, do as much experience as you can. I can relate to that 100%. I, I, I truly feel like that's the biggest difference between mm-hmm. dental school and now in real life. There there are no more practice reps. Everything oh, is no. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And when people start paying you their hard-earned money, they want a result. Mm-hmm. So in school, you know, they're getting a discount. They can't really, you know, be too upset with you if something's <laughs> delayed or you got to yeah. redo it. Um, but when they're paying you their good money, you need to deliver. And you have faculty who were more knowledgeable about you over your shoulders and you might go into yes. an office and now you might be the most surgically competent person in your practice now and they depend yes. on you. Yeah. Nobody's going to be there to save you or bail you out. You got to be that person. <laughs> Definitely. It's, it's a different level of responsibility and that's something that uh, we're, we're preparing for to be ready for that level yeah. of responsibility. But mm-hmm. that actually weaves into my next question perfectly. Uh, we've touched on the student side, and one thing I want to touch on is the clinical side. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one thing I've been noticing throughout being in dental school is how many different environments that dentists can work in. They can mm-hmm. work in an academic setting, they can work in a research setting, hospital setting, they can be an independent contractor, they can work in a corporate setting. Mm-hmm. And, um, I've been really just exploring these different options to see 
one, what are they and get educated on them and then see what is the best fit for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you don't mind sharing, could you just share where you work and what type of dental setting that you So um, I work in a private practice. My office is called Dental Dreams LLC. Sometimes people get it confused with a chain that's up north, but we're in Georgia. Um, It's my father and I, and I've only known private practice. I never did corporate. Um, I didn't really temp at other offices. So I've only known um, working for my dad. And the environment is very relaxed. I work Tuesday through Friday and one Saturday per month. Um, We do just about everything, all kinds of procedures. Um, But it's a very like, I make my own schedule. I hire my own staff. I dismiss patients when I want to dismiss patients. I welcome patients when I want to welcome them. Like I have all control. And for me and my personality, that was good for me because I talked to a lot of my friends who did corporate. And I think there is um, something about working by yourself in dentistry can be very isolating. So if you are going to do corporate, I would definitely recommend being in an environment where there's another doctor, because sometimes you just have to bounce ideas off of other people. You're really never going to know it all. And it's okay to not know it all. Um, So being in some type of group setting, I think is very important because you're just not going to know it all. Like, I feel like I came out of Carolina. I feel like they gave us a lot of, you know, great experiences, but I still didn't know it all when I graduated. Um, And my dad held my hand and he was willing to step in and bail me out when I needed him to. Um, But he also didn't judge me when I would ask him like simple questions like, hey, you think this impression looks good or I'm really nervous about this. Um, And he was very transparent about fear. Fear can stop you from doing a lot of things. Um, You just may not think you're good enough. You may not think you're fast enough. And he told me he experienced those things when he first came out of dental school too. So seeing the person, you know, I kind of idolized tell me that he was fearful at times. It made my fear feel normal and I was able to combat it head on. Um, So yeah, being in a practice where there's another doctor with a little more experience, that's very, very um, impactful for your growth as a clinician. Mm -hmm. Follow-up question I have for that is how do you overcome some of that fear being a new dentist, yeah, uh, like not really knowing everything and, and adjusting to a new environment, mm-hmm. how did you get over that that period? Um, so there's a lot of things that I did. One, I recognized very early that you have to work on personal growth. Um, I've always been a big advocate of therapy, and we as dentists have very particular personalities. We strive for perfection, and a lot of times, perfection is not attainable. Um, There's a quote that I think Eleanor Roosevelt said it, and she said, you have to look fear in the face. It's the only way you can build confidence. Mm -hmm. And that every time I get into a situation where I'm like, oh, this tooth, I'm not going to get it out. Like, I'm going to have to stop in the middle of the procedure or refer, Lord, they're going to think I'm incompetent. Like, I always tell myself, you just got to, you got to look fear in the face. Um, Because if you don't, you will not know how powerful you are. And there have been plenty of times where I've said, wow, girl, you did that. Like you, you know, you stuck it out. I may have cried at the end of the day when everybody was gone, but I stuck it out and I made it through. And I look back on some of the situations and I said, 
if I had let fear tackle me in that moment, I would have never been where I am today. Mm. So you just have to live through it and you're going to fail. There are going to be times where you fail. And I tell a lot of people, I have a close group of girlfriends. We all went to Spelman together and we're all dentists now. And we talk about our failures openly. Um, You can get caught up in this Facebook world where everybody's talking about how much money they're making and all these things. And they're not telling you about their failures, but once you fail once, you will know what to do not to fail again. Mm. I I think that's so relatable because I feel like a lot of pre-dent students or dental students um, feel, feel these same emotions in school and um, seeing somebody who is a practicing dentist that has experienced some of those emotions kind of, it lets us know that we're not alone in that. Yeah. You're not. I remember being in school and I was like a TA for um, dental anatomy or something. And I was talking to one of the first years and I was like, you know, this practical, I failed this practical. And this is why I failed it because I didn't do this. And he looked at me and said, why would I take advice from somebody who failed a practical? And I said, well, (laughs) this will be the last time I give you advice. But I told him, Uh you know, this is what I did wrong and I don't want you to do it wrong. So that's why I'm sharing that with you. But a lot of people don't have that level of honesty. Um, You have to be selective about who you surround yourself with, because if they're only telling you the good things, they're probably not telling you the truth. Mm -hmm. So it's important to humble yourself in certain situations and be vulnerable and be able to share with others because, you know, you live to survive it and you want them to live to survive it as well. For sure. And some of our greatest lessons can come from um, times where we fell short and that really sticks. Yeah. As far as being a learning lesson that I, I would definitely take advice from somebody who that happened to on the practical because that, that's yeah. not going to happen again for them. And right. And exactly. The goal is to have people that can share those times and, and to share those um, learning lessons. It's life lessons so that we're not, um, making the mistakes um, like yeah. generation after generation. So that's, that's huge. That, that yeah. we, we could talk all day about that really. Yeah. There were some other practical mm-hmm. things that I did as well to like um, decrease chances of error. Like I mm-hmm. always still to this day, I've been practicing for seven years, but I still take a pre-op radiograph before I submit to crown, mm-hmm. you know, and I take a post-op bite wing after I do a class two because it gives me peace of mind. I value peace of mind. I've learned that in dentistry, patients can try to take that away from you. Um, and you have to put some boundaries around yourself so that you don't exhaust yourself. So checking your work, making sure you're prepared for the day. I come in before my staff gets there and I leave after they leave. Like, Mm -hmm. um, you have to make sure if you want to deliver quality care, you need to be the person making sure that things are going right. You can't depend on other people to manage your life. And that's a whole part of um, the business aspect that we can jump into as well. A lot of people are so reliant on office managers that if their staff walked out, their business would close. And my dad always told me, everybody in this office can walk out on you tomorrow and you better be able to keep this thing running. Keep it running. And I have taken that to heart because during the pandemic, I lost a lot of staff members, but I had to outsource certain tasks. 
I had to do tasks myself. You know, we are, um, my dad has been practicing in this location for the, you know, I'm 33. So he's been practicing dentistry for 25 plus years. And he will still sweep the front of the office sometimes, pick up trash if he has to. Like, I think about all of the ways that people become um, dependent on others and you really have no peace of mind if somebody can pull the carpet out from you at any time. You have to know every aspect of that business if you want to survive. Um, and that's something I'm grateful that my dad has taught me. Yeah. One thing that you touched on that I just wanted to get some more clarification and follow up on as well is um, the things that you do outside of working to just make sure that you have a balanced life and you're able mm-hmm. to best self to work. Yeah. The dentistry is a very, very demanding profession, mm-hmm. a lot of responsibility, and it's very important for students and, and new dentists to realize what are things, some of the things that they can do, do to have mm-hmm. that work-life balance and to be mm-hmm. a healthy individual as a dental professional. Yeah. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. I love listening to podcasts and I tend to stay away from the dentistry podcast. I like to listen to, um, there's one called um, How I Built This. And there's like one by the Wall Street Journal called Secrets of Wealthy Women. And it just talks about a lot of different Um, CEOs and companies and how they structure their business. And I, I take little things from them to structure my business. And one of the things they always said is there is no such thing as work-life balance. Like it's a facade, give it up. Okay. (laughs) Like you have a hundred percent to give every day, but if you give a hundred percent to your job, you're going to leave zero for yourself or your family. So you've got to kind of diversify it. Like think of it as like your portfolio. You can give 80% to work and you may give 20% to your family, or you decide that you want to switch it up that day and, you know, give a different percentage to yourself, a little less from work. One of the best things I did for myself was learning my sleep patterns, learning how I felt the best. And that's going to bed early and waking up early. I love to wake up early. That's my thing. Um, I do my best work in the morning. So I structure my day to do my harder procedures in the morning. And then in the afternoon, like it's kind of cruising to the end of the day. I don't work any Mondays. Um, and that has been my saving grace. I definitely do not recommend working five days a week. It's just too much. It's way too much. Um, dentistry is not only a physically demanding job, it's mentally. So you have to take a day for yourself. And I chose Mondays because I can have a long weekend. Um, I catch up, I go to the bank, I go to, you know, make my doctor's appointments, do whatever I want on Mondays. And it's just a day for me to reset. And I feel like I'm a better dentist because of that. Um, when I was in North Carolina, my girlfriends, they were runners and I, I was one of those people who would like walk the mile in high school. I hated it, but I took up running. I took up exercising while I was up there because it cleared the mind. You know, you have to have a hobby. My dad loves to golf. Um, I like to, you know, work out, do different things. So you have to figure out what makes you happy outside of work And then I think I also realized how much I needed to make to support a lifestyle that made me feel comfortable. Um, The great thing about private practice is every day is payday. You have an opportunity every single day to make money. And if you are actively marketing yourself, 
anything can walk through your door. You know, you never know. Every day is a surprise. So I realized how to motivate myself to be my best self when I was at work, how to take advantage of my off days, and then how to realize, you know, I feel good when I'm compensated properly. You know, you can deal with a little more headache if you feel like you're being compensated properly. But if you are not financially thriving and you got anxiety about how you're going to meet the bills, it's going to wear on you. And that's where the burnout comes in. Mm. That's, that's great advice. Uh, one more clinical question before we transition over to the business side. Um, is there one piece of clinical advice that you've received during your career that has really stood out as something that has made a difference in um, yeah. your clinical practice? And what is that? There are two things. Um, my dad actually is funny because I feel like working with him the first year, I learned more than I learned in dental school. Um, but <laughs> If you can give profound anesthesia, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. And so not to get too technical, but I always go in with a blue. I anesthetize. I, I block a lot of people. I use septicane. I like to use septicane. I go in with a blue, give them a second. And then I go in with a yellow to reinforce. And if you can get them numb, then they start to trust you. Mm -hmm. um, also anticipating what they will feel. So explaining to a patient, hey, your lower lip is going to start to feel puffy. Your tongue is also going to start to feel heavy. Or if you, you know, are anesthetizing the premolars, your nostril may feel a little, you know, numb or your eyelid. If you can get before them and kind of calm them down because they're like, oh, my God, is this normal? That's when they start to build trust. And once they trust you then, you know, everything will go smoothly, I feel like, in your procedure. Um, the other thing is take pride in your work. Don't worry so much about time. Time will, you know, speed will come, but don't try to be the fastest dentist. Do quality, good work. Because um, if you're doing things super fast, there's a chance you may miss something. Um, so slow down, take pride in your work anticipate what the patient is going to feel and give profound anesthesia. Those are probably the main things that I learned. Give profound anesthesia. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk big picture now, right? You're, you're a practice owner. You've been doing it for seven years now. So what do the next five to 10 years of your practice look like? What's your vision? Um, work less, make more. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I'm in all the Facebook groups and Facebook threads and these people are like, I'm seeing 30, 40 patients a day. And I was like, I would hate that. You know, I don't want to see that many patients per day. I would rather see a smaller amount of patients doing more comprehensive dentistry than running around with like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, so long-term, that is something that I want to focus more on. Um, I feel like I have a spirit. I like small business. So I definitely think there will be something else out there for me outside of dentistry. Um, so I want to create a lifestyle where I can do more things than just, you know, private practice. Do you plan on remaining a group even after your dad, is he retired right now? Is he still currently? He's semi-retired. Semi-retired. Semi -retired. Semi -retired. <laughs> so whatever um, he retires. Yeah. Um, 
I think that I will eventually add other doctors into my practice. But one of the things that was really important to me, um, if you are going to have this practice, this dream ideal practice, it's like having a car. You have to make sure the tires are right. You have to make sure you have gas in the car. Like you have to make sure that it's a well-oiled machine before you start bringing outside people into it. Because we hear so many horror stories about associateships and how, you know, both sides aren't happy, both parties aren't happy. So I really before I scale to a larger level, I just wanted to make sure I was comfortable where I was with two doctors. Um, and we're getting to that place. I wasn't in a huge rush because your private practice is like your child. It's like your home. You know, you want to bring someone in who's going to respect what you built and continue doing what you, you're doing. Um, so I wasn't in a huge rush to be like a huge group practice. So speaking of group practice and as far as other versions of practicing, if you could go back, uh, would you have gone straight into practice with your father? Or would you have ventured out for a little bit and then come back? What would you have done differently? Would you have done it the same exact way? You know, that's a great question. I think about that often. Um, I um, went to Spelman, went straight to North Carolina and came back the day after graduation. So I didn't really get a chance to live in other areas. I would have loved to, you know, do a year somewhere else. Like some of my friends, they went to New Orleans or they went to California. Like I didn't get that experience. Sometimes I think I missed out a little bit. Um, I do think that I got all the knowledge of the business side very early. Um, and I'm grateful to have had that time with my dad because it's interesting. My dad took over my grandfather's practice, but my grandfather passed away when my dad was a second year in dental school. So he didn't really have the time with a mentor. He had to like start from ground zero. And I feel like it's, it's a very um, valuable experience to learn the business side while you're learning the clinical side. It's harder that way to learn them both at the same time. Um, but being in a family business, it's just a little different. I feel like if you're not going into a family business, definitely take that year, explore, figure things out and then set up shop because you have to be sure this is where you want to stay. Okay. So as far as your practice, what, what strategies have you been able to utilize on and the new ideas you've been able to bring to the practice to help it continue to grow and continue mm -hmm. to thrive? Yeah. Um, I started to outsource a lot of tasks because I realized human error, like you can train people as much as you can, but there's just always a chance of human error. People let you down, okay? Um, so I started to, one of the best things I did for my practice, I got a call center. I realized early on that I wanted to structure my practice and my business the way I like to be treated as a consumer. So when I call somewhere, I don't want to press one, seven, five, eight until I can get a live representative, you know? So a call center was really great because someone always answers my phone. I don't miss any calls um, and they can schedule, reschedule. They send me an email update after every call. The calls are recorded. So that was very helpful. Um, I started to outsource billing. I noticed early on some of the negative reviews we were getting were related to billing. And so I said, OK, I'm going to eliminate the source of error here by 
hiring a company that specializes in this. And I also gave people alternate ways to pay. So I like, you know, I can pay via email. Like I don't want to have to come into the office to submit payment. Um, so I, I started to outsource that. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got was from one of my mentors from Old North State, Dr. Cara Henderson. She told me, she joined her father's practice. She said, Zarita, don't go in there trying to change everything day one. And I was like, ooh, are you sure? Like, there's all these changes I want to make. She's like, just take it easy. So I had to take it easy because when I joined my father's practice, we weren't digital. And I was trained on being digital. And I remember feeling embarrassed about that and being like, oh my gosh, I'm joining this practice and they're not, you know, up to date. But I caution people when you are joining someone else's business, my dad's practice, it provided a wonderful life for me as a child. And there were, there was a fine line between insulting what he had established and offering ways to enhance what he already had. And so being digital um, was one of the first things that I tackled because I said, you know, efficiency is going to make our practice thrive financially. So if I, you know, spend less time developing x-rays, like if it's an instantaneous thing, then we're gonna be able to see more patients. And I remember, when we made that transition, it was kind of hard for him initially to get behind it. But once he saw the difference, he was like full into it. Um, so there's little things that you can do, but I, I caution people also, like, I know there's a huge trend on being like a super popular social media dentist, right? If you are going to start a private practice and you're gonna market and brand yourself to a lot of people, Make sure you have the systems in place to welcome those patients and allow them to have a good experience. Um, If you're not organized, you can have all the patients in the world calling your office. But if you can't capitalize on all those phone calls, schedule them properly, you know, collect money out of them properly, it's going to be null and void. It doesn't matter. So you have to have the systems in place. And there's like some trial and error with that um, before you can really market yourself to a large group amazing so what advice would you give a dental student aspiring to be a practice owner like yourself one day what can they start doing to prepare to be you one day don't compare yourself to these people on facebook um take it easy do not get in over your head financially you don't need everything day one when you come out of Carolina, you're like, oh, I need this scanner. I need this laser. Oh, I need to get this CBCT. You don't need all that day one, okay? Because you're not going to be using all that day one. If you find that you are placing implants and that's what you really like, okay, then go ahead and invest in the CBCT. But don't go into extreme debt trying to have the latest and the greatest. Take it one step at a time. Um, I... And I wish I would have learned about Dave Ramsey a little earlier in my career. Like, pay cash, stop trying to finance everything. Like you can, if you want to take a surgical course that costs $11,000, okay, you can do that, but save that $11,000, you know, and then take it. Like you don't have to do it first. Um, Dentistry is a great field. You will make great money. You just have to make sure you're not in over your head financially um, because there is no stress like 
you know, financial stress. <laughs> if you want to enjoy your job, you want to be compensated properly, but you also don't want to have to owe the world, you know, every check that you get. You don't want to have to send it to someone else. So now that you've given us uh, your advice, what's the best piece of advice that someone gave you along your journey financially? Financially, um, don't get into credit card debt. That was one of the things like I was big on like, it was so funny because some of my friends are consultants and they were like, yeah, we get all these points by swiping our card for this, this and that. And I was like, oh, I don't do that. Maybe I need to think about this. And then you wake up and you look at your credit card bill like, what was I doing? You know, um, so don't get into credit card debt. That was a great advice. Um, you don't have to um, buy everything at once. That was something else people told me. Also, it's okay to start small. Like if you're starting with a three, four operatory practice, that's fine. You can grow. You don't have to be like everybody you see in these magazines. They have eight, 10 uh, operatories in their practice. Um, just start small. Don't live above your means. I still drive the same car that I was driving in dental school and I live in Atlanta, the home of the flex. Like everybody has a Mercedes and they say, oh, you're a doctor. Why are you driving that car? And I'm like, girl, this car works and it's paid for. So, you know, I, I came to realize um, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy, you know, certain things like, um, so I put my money towards that. You don't have to live up to this doctor standard and when I was in dental school, I thought I was going to be totally different. Like, you know, and I came to learn myself through therapy and through, you know, just growth, maturity, um, what was important to me and what wasn't. So take it slow. So, take it I'm sorry. You come off so principled when it comes to finances and everything in your life. What was your dental school splurge? You had to have splurge. It might have been a vacation. <laughs> what was your splurge? You know, I have never been a huge like shopper, but I love to eat. So, oh, I will go to those nice restaurants and there is no like, you know, I will order the drinks. I will order what I want off the menu. Like I never was a very, um, you know, can't <laughs> dine out person. So okay. that's where I would splurge the most. I think I had like, I don't know if it's still there, but there's this restaurant Ben 54 in Chapel Hill. And I had like a birthday party there I had a, I had a really good time in Chapel Hill. I was never a huge like um, clothes or bag person. I've grown into that a little bit now. But um, when I was in dental school, I wasn't spending crazy. But I also was um, I wasn't a huge like drive place. I would fly everywhere I had to go and I preferred direct flights. So I would, you know, spend on that. <laughs> OK, you got to treat yourself sometimes. Yeah, you yeah, have to figure out that. some way to keep yourself motivated. <laughs> For sure. For sure. I know we've talked a lot about the demanding aspect of being a dental professional, but I do want to talk about on um, the other side, the things that you really enjoy and mm -hmm. what, what you really look forward to um, mm -hmm. a dentist. Um, so is there any experience that really stands out as one of the more rewarding experiences during your dental career? Yeah. Um, there's not one particular situation. I just, um, it really means a lot to me when people refer their family members to me, when they trust me with the care of their parents or their aunts. Um, a lot of people will say, oh, so-and-so is so nervous. Like she's very nervous to come in. And 
it brings me joy to be able to um, accommodate someone and ease their anxiety of dentistry because dentistry has changed a lot. I can see why people were scared, you know, years ago. Um, but it's a good feeling when people trust me with their care. A lot of my friends come to me, a lot of my family members and for them to hold me in that regard, it makes me feel, it makes me feel good. So. I think that speaks volumes that, that someone would refer their family member to you. And I think that the goal is to treat every patient as if they were a family yeah. and, and to give patients that level of respect and yeah. just give them the, the highest quality care that mm-hmm. you can each day. Um, we're, we're coming toward the end here. I have two last questions for you. One is if, if you could go back in time and speak with um, the dental school version of yourself, mm-hmm. uh, what advice would you give um, dental school version of Dr. Zarita Buchanan um, to, to just kind of ease her comforts and, and make sure that she's going the right track? Um. I think I would tell myself that uh, I think my first two years were the hardest for me. Um, so I would tell myself to learn who I was as a woman and learn how to keep myself emotionally and mentally fit. Invest in that early on because it will set the trajectory for your life if you take care of yourself first. Um, Also, don't be afraid of not knowing the answer. You know, there are times where you just need to learn. And I remember kind of being shy a little bit about asking questions in class um, because I thought other people would judge me. And I wish I would have known to have a little more confidence in that regard. Um, someone once told me, you know, a patient doesn't really care about a failure if you're willing to fix it for them. Mm-hmm. If you say, okay, you know, this crown, it just doesn't look very great. I'm going to do this over for you. That means more to them than you not doing the right work initially. Um, so I wish I would have told myself, you know, look fear in the face a little more, learn about who you are as a person and acknowledge the fact that you are humble enough and also smart enough to know you can fix whatever you messed up. Hmm. I hope everybody listening caught those because those are some <laughs> real gems that I, I know I'm going to listen back to this interview again and really um, just just take that in because I think that was some great advice. And I'm going to give Dr. Buchanan just a last chance. Do you have any final words for our listeners who are in the, the pursuit right now of becoming a dentist is to encourage them along their journey? Yeah, um, I think that, you know, everybody can do this. This is something that if you put your mind to it, you can get into the school you want to get into. You can build the practice you want to build. Um, It's all about mental strength and believing in yourself. But one of the things that I'm like so serious about is really honoring those who paved the way for us to be where we are today. Um, I always tell SNDA members, you know, 
honor those people in Old North State who have given their time, their resources to be there to guide you. Um, there are plenty of people, Dr. Crisp, Dr. Allison, Dr. Braithwaite, who really, Dr. Henderson, who took time to talk with me, meet with me, allow me to come to their homes, to their practices, honor those people, give them their flowers while they're here. Um, Dr. Spencer Howard was an amazing oral surgeon who also was a Morehouse graduate. And I remember calling him my first year of dental school and he called me back immediately. And Dr. Howard passed not too long ago and I will always honor his legacy because he took time out of his day to make sure I, um, was okay. And I was making it through school in Carolina. So um, honor those who have done for you because there will be times where you need people and be that person for someone else. Um, if you put good into the atmosphere, it'll come back to you. Definitely. I think that's a, a great note to end on. We want to thank you, Dr. Buchanan, for taking the time to come and speak with us and share your experiences, sharing your advice. We really, really appreciate it. And uh, Jermaine, do you have any final words? Is that sunlight or is that like a light that you're using? <laughs> whatever it is, I need to upgrade to it. Everybody here who's listening will not be able to appreciate what melanin looks like when it hits light. But whatever that is, I need to upgrade to. That's, <laughs> that's it. Sunlight. That's that's sunlight. That's sunlight. Yeah, that's sunlight. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you all for having me. I'm so very proud of you guys for, you know, putting this on, for for continuing on through school. Let me know if there's anything else I can ever do to um, help you guys along the way. Will do. So we'll do. Thank have you. Have a great evening, Doc. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>